could turn in your Bibles to the book of Philippians. If you're familiar with the story of Joseph in the Old Testament, he was sold into slavery in Egypt. It was the result of his brother's envy, their pride, and their hatred of their brother. And yet, if you are also familiar with how that story unfolds, we find that God was at work and gave him an influential position initially in Potiphar's house. When Potiphar's wife falsely accused him of attempted rape, he was thrown into prison. And yet even in that, God was at work, and God used his position there to influence the king's cupbearer, who later referred the king to Joseph as an interpreter of dreams. And we know that he was eventually put into place as the second-in-command of all Egypt, where he eventually provided for the salvation of the world at that time. Later, he would recount his brother's actions, and we read this in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. Joseph said these words, As for you, he's speaking to his brothers, you meant evil against me. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. This is a difficult concept for us to wrestle with oftentimes as we face the difficult circumstances of the world. We see the evil that is going on and and we wonder, how could this possibly be allowed to happen? If God is a good and loving God, how is it that there is evil in the world, that there are these hardships that people face? What possible purpose could God have in the midst of these evil circumstances? We wrestle with these things, but the Bible gives us this this picture, and we don't always get to see behind the curtain of what God is doing, but there are times when God reveals to us, he, He peels that curtain back for us so that we can see the effects of what God is doing, even in the midst of difficult things, even in the midst of the evil actions of evil people. And such was the case of Joseph. And there is perhaps no more salient example than that of Jesus Christ himself. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ was likely the most wicked act. It was the most wicked act ever perpetrated in history. The sinful son, the sinless son of God, rather, excuse me. Almost spoke heresy there. (laughs) The sinless son of God, accused of conjured crimes treated like he was less than human, taken to a cross, beaten, spat upon, hung on that cross, mocked, crucified. It was pure evil, wickedness. And there is no evil that compares to the murder of the God-man. And yet, without that death, without the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, you and I would still be dead in our own sins. We would still be lost without God and without hope in the world. But because of the great mercy of God, He used the evil actions of evil men to bring about His good purposes, accomplishing the salvation of all those who would place their trust in Christ. 
And so the words of Peter, we, we read this in the book of Acts, Peter is, is preaching to the people after receiving the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, and he proclaims to the men of Israel, he says, this is Acts 22, beginning, this is Acts, Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 22, he says, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. It says that this was the actions of lawless men, sinful men. And yet it was according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. And he goes on to say that God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are witnesses. Being therefore exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. So let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So we have this declaration from the Apostle Peter, recognizing that God had accomplished his purposes through the acts of evil men. And such has been the case throughout history. And as I mentioned, we don't always get to see behind the curtain of what God is doing. But God reveals enough to us for us to see that God is at work. He is accomplishing His purposes. Though we struggle with that at times and we wrestle with the hardship and the evil that we see in the world. We don't always see the results, but because we know the goodness of our God and His character, we can rest and trust Him knowing that this is true. Such is the case in our passage today in the book of Philippians. We have been working through the book of Philippians chapter by chapter and verse by verse. The overall theme of the book of Philippians is that of of joy even in the midst of difficult circumstances. Paul, as he writes Philippians, he is currently sitting in prison suffering because of his proclamation of the gospel of Christ. There are individuals who do not appreciate his message and so they have captured him And they have put him in prison, and he is now awaiting trial in the city of Rome because of his proclamation. The church that he is writing to, the church at Philippi, they also are suffering on account of their faith. And so he is writing to them to encourage them in the midst of things. But the theme, even though he's sitting in jail, even though the church he is writing to is suffering, the theme is one of joy. It's one of gladness. So we ask ourselves, how can this be true? How is it that Paul, he's suffering, he's in jail. The church, they're being persecuted. How can they have a divine joy in the midst of their earthly journey? So we have been unpacking that and and seeing that unfold throughout the book. And we saw how Paul extends his prayer to the, to the Lord for the gratitude for the Philippians, and he remembers them with gladness. We see how he has prayed for them, that, that they would increase in love towards one another. 
And now as we move into the the main body of the letter, we're in Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to pick things up today in verse 12. Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. We're going to see that God is at work, and God is using negative circumstances to accomplish His good purposes. So again, Philippians 1, verse 12, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout all the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. And some indeed preach Christ from from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but seeking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. So again, what we're going to see and learn from this passage today is that that I can rejoice in all circumstances, knowing that God is at work. First, we see back in verse 12 that, that God uses negative circumstances. He uses negative circumstances. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Now, I'm sure this would have been surprising for the Philippians to hear. They had sent a man by the name of Epaphroditus. They had sent him to Paul to be a, a ministry to Paul, to provide some resources for him, to provide funding for him so that he could have nourishment as he sits in prison, to encourage him and to, to, to let him know the things that are going on in Philippi. And so they are seeking to encourage him, thinking that, that Paul being in prison would have served as a detriment to the gospel. Right? That would have been the expectation, that Paul could not be preaching the gospel because he's in jail, so the gospel is being hindered. That would have been the expectation. But Paul says, no, 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 I, I want you to know this. This is important. This is something that you must realize The gospel is advancing. What has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. By any human standard, this is the reverse of what we would have expected. Paul's in jail, the most prolific, the most celebrated, probably the most gifted church planter the world has ever seen, sitting in prison. He can't preach, he can't teach, he can't hold church meetings, he can't reason with Jews in the synagogue, he can't debate with the pagans in the temple squares. But rather, he rejoices. Contrary to what we would expect, the gospel is advancing. I'm sure that given the choice, Paul would not have chosen to be in jail. Right? I don't know who would normally choose that. Like, yep, I volunteer for that assignment. Put me in jail. No, it's not what we would choose. And we wouldn't choose any of the hardship that we face in our lives, right? The, the, the hard things that come, and we don't volunteer for that. Nobody volunteers for cancer. 
Nobody volunteers for vehicle accidents or, or other hard things that goes on in life. We don't volunteer for the hard things that, that come to us. But Paul, even as he's in the midst of this, he, he looks at this and says, you know what? I see God at work here. I see God in the work in the midst, even in the midst of my difficult, my negative circumstances, God is working in the midst of this. And so he says he rejoices. That's what he says at, towards the end of the paragraph. He says, in the midst of all this, I rejoice. It's because he is looking at the gospel of Christ and seeing how it is moving forward, even in the midst of these things. Paul says the circumstances have served to advance the gospel. To me, this is another reminder that what Jesus said in his earthly ministry holds true. Jesus said that I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. So Paul sees the the, the things, the circumstances that he has and and he's sitting in prison. He says it's advancing the gospel. Now we might ask, okay, how is that happening? How is the gospel advancing in the midst of this? He, he, he makes this statement. He makes this declaration. How is it so? Well, he gives two results of his imprisonment, two things that are happening that are results of him being put in jail. And these are the things that he identifies as advancing the gospel. He says, first, there's new opportunities. And second, there is new boldness. First, Look with me at verse 13, where we find new opportunities for the gospel. He says, It has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. The first of the two results that we see is things that are advancing the gospel. Again, this is not the preferred situation for Paul. He didn't volunteer for this. He would never choose voluntarily, I want to be in jail. And yet, Paul has taken this opportunity. He sees that because of the circumstances, negative though they be, because of the circumstances of him being in prison, he is now interacting and crossing paths with people that he never would have had the opportunity to reach otherwise. Paul likely never would have crossed paths with the the Roman soldiers that were guarding him in prison. He never would have been able to have a conversation with those individual individuals. These were not paths that he would have crossed. And so he sees this and he says, yeah, I'm in jail and, and I'm chained up. And in those days, it, it's possible that there would have been a situation where Paul, being in pr- prison, being in jail, that he may have even been directly chained to these Roman guards that were guarding over him and making sure that he would not escape. So he's got a captive audience, so to speak, right? They're right there. They can't get away. There's no running away. Paul says, I have an opportunity here. I'm not going to waste this. I'm not going to wallow in self-pity because of my circumstances. No, I'm going to share the good news of Christ. And he says, the whole imperial guard, right? That's what he says. That it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard. There would have been changes of the guard. 
right? It's not just these one guards that are there with him the whole time. There's kind of a rotation going on, and, and they go off duty, and somebody else comes on duty. And so he has a, a new person there that he can share the gospel of Christ with, share with him the love of Christ, how Jesus Christ, he is the, the one who came. He is the Messiah. He did die on the cross for the sins of the world, and that all who place their trust in him will have new life, will be given forgiveness of sins. He has this opportunity to share that with these new soldiers with the rotation of the guard. So he takes that opportunity. New opportunities for the gospel. He's become known throughout the whole imperial guard. Then he says, and to all the rest. I find that to be an interesting phrase. And to all the rest. It seems that what was happening, Paul was sharing the gospel with these guards that would be watching over him. They'd be maybe chained to him or at least standing guard by him proclaiming the gospel to them. There's a rotation, and so he's proclaiming the gospel to each of these individuals. How are these other people, all the rest, who is that referring to? It's probably referring to others that are part of, of the prison network there, others that might have been part of the, um, just the, the government at that, at that location. The palace guard, the, this is, it's, it's translated there, imperial guard in the ESV. Other translations say the, the palace guard. Paul was in jail in a, in a prison, yes, but he was in the palace. It was in, this, it was in a, the place where the emperor would reside. And so that's where he was located. And so all the servants, all these individuals, everybody that's associated with this, somehow they are hearing about the gospel. Somehow they were hearing about why he is in prison. So what was likely happening, Paul is sharing the gospel with these guards and they're doing something with that. They're taking that and and they are sharing that with other people as well. Hey, you know, we've been guarding this guy, Paul, and listen to what he has to say. Listen to what he told me about this man, Jesus Christ. And so the gospel is, is, is branching out and it's, it's, it's spreading even in the midst of the imperial guard there. So he says the gospel has, it has become known through the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. He says they know. They've heard why I'm in prison. They've heard the gospel of Christ. They know I'm, I'm not here as a murderer. I'm not here as a, as a thief. I'm not here because I have broken Roman law. I'm here for the proclamation of the gospel. I'm here because of the message of Jesus Christ, and, and I want you to know this message as well. And so the guard is hearing that, and they're spreading that, and so it's, it's become known throughout this whole palace guard, the whole imperial guard, and to all the rest. And so Paul rejoices over this. He says, There's, God is at work here. This has actually served. It, it's a negative circumstance. I wouldn't have preferred to be in prison, but God is at work. And now I have new opportunities to spread the gospel because of these circumstances. I was reading uh, one commentator this week, and, and he noted, and I'm just going to quote for him, from him here, just an interesting connection here. If you recall back when Paul was in Philippi, in the book of Acts, and how he was actually in prison in Philippi. And there was an earthquake, and, and the earthquake loosened his chains. And there's the Philippian jailer that was going to kill himself because the, his prisoners were escaping. And Paul says, no, 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 don't do that. And he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? He says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. So one commentator noted, 
Quote, upon hearing this letter, one can imagine a certain Philippian jailer smiling as he recalled his own conversion as a result of Paul sharing the gospel during his brief incarceration in Philippi. Paul consistently used his various imprisonments as opportunities to preach the gospel and even asked for others to pray for God to open doors so that he might preach the gospel while in chains. So though Paul found himself in less than desirable circumstances, this is a negative thing, he took advantage of the situation and proclaimed the gospel of Christ. And he feels sorry for himself. He didn't wallow in self-pity. But sought to let the Philippians, I want you to know what has happened to me. It's advancing the gospel. There's new people hearing the good news of Christ. And so he shares that and rejoices over that. You know, and I've seen similar things play out in the lives of people that I've known. Negative circumstances enter into their lives, and they don't, they don't choose those things. I can think of one family in particular, of, of an individual part of their family who, who got cancer. And so they were, they were in the hospital there, and different nurses, different doctors would come through, and they would see the, even in the midst of this horrific disease that was taking over this individual's body, there was a joy, there was a peace, there is a hope that can only come through the gospel of Christ. And as these different individuals were coming through, they were sh- just amazed. that you know, they, They're used to dealing with cancer patients that are just distraught and just despairing of life. And, and here is an individual at peace, even in the midst of a disease that is killing them. And so they, they're hearing, they're seeing the testimony of their life on, right in front of their faces. And, and this individual had the opportunity to share the gospel with countless nurses as they came through on different ships, of different doctors of different sorts as they were going through different treatments. The gospel was proclaimed. Christ was glorified even in the midst of that difficult and painful situation. In every hardship, there is opportunity. And though we don't always... Oh, we see that sometimes we allow ourselves to get blinded by the circumstances themselves. We get caught up and wrapped up in, in the hardship. And, but if we can just see a little bit more with, with a divine perspective, and if we could see, okay, what, what individuals are in my life now because of this difficult situation that, that weren't there before? And how can I be encouragement, a, a ministry, a, an opportunity for the gospel, even in the midst of that? So we, we could allow ourselves to get wrapped up in those circumstances or we could allow, look for new ways to minister to others. There's new opportunities for the gospel. Second, Paul says that there is new boldness for the gospel. New boldness for the gospel, verse 14. He says, Most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. This is the second result that Paul says of my imprisonment, of how I see the gospel advancing even in the midst of my negative circumstances. Most of the brothers, not everybody, but, but most of them, most, most of the brothers, most individuals who, who name the name of Christ, who believe in Him, they are much more confident in the Lord 
to speak the word without fear. Much more bold to speak the word without fear. That phrase, having become confident, it's, it's interesting. That's actually the same word that he used back in verse 6 of the same chapter when he says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to the day, uh, to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That's the same word that he uses here now, that the brothers are become confident. They have become sure. They have become persuaded and are now confident in the midst of things. Their confidence has been boosted because of what Paul is enduring. Paul says that these other individuals, they they see what I am enduring, they see the, the hardship that I am facing, and it has brought courage to them. It has brought confidence to them. It has brought a new boldness in the midst of their lives, and now they are going out, and they are preaching the gospel. And so though Paul says, yeah, my circumstances are negative, but I see God at work. The gospel is advancing. New opportunities, and there's new boldness. Other people, thousands are hearing about Christ because of this new boldness. Courage is contagious. Courage is contagious. Paul says that when they see him suffering, it strengthens them. When others see an individual standing for what is right, doing the right thing, it strengthens their resolve to do the same. And we see this even in our days, different circumstances around the world. I don't know if you're familiar with the organization, The Voice of the Martyrs. They issue out a magazine. It's free. You can get it online. Go to Google uh, Voice of the Martyrs, and you can get a free magazine that's sent to your home. And it, it tells the stories of individuals who are currently suffering in our present day, in various places around the world, suffering for Christ. And the, the whole thrust of the magazine is to help us see the suffering of others and pray for them and be encouraged by what God is doing, even in the midst of those hard circumstances. But we just see that the, the testimonies of individuals who are suffering for Christ, they're giving their lives, even now, even in 2021, for the name of Jesus Christ. And as we see that, it should strengthen us. Here, here we are in America. Surely we can stand for Christ. Surely we can open our mouths when we see what others are enduring around the world. And even not so far away, Pastor James Coates of Alberta, Canada, was imprisoned earlier this year. What was his crime? Simply holding church when the government said don't gathering together, worshiping the Lord, doing what God instructs us to do in His Word. The government said, don't do that. And so they threw him in prison because he chose to obey God rather than men. And the testimony of James Coates, it emboldened other pastors. Even other pastors were told, do not meet. And other pastors said, well, this is what God commands us to do. So, yeah, we're going to be careful and we're going to observe what we need to observe in order to keep ourselves safe in the midst of things. But we're going to gather together and we're going to meet because it is what God instructs us to do. And the testimony of James Coates emboldened others to do the same. We see courage is contagious. So Paul says that this has advanced the gospel. Others are strengthened, they are emboldened, even in the midst of this. Now, sadly, Paul acknowledges that 
Not everyone had pure motives in the midst of their boldness. Not everybody was approaching things as they ought to. Let's read verse 15. He says, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. And then he goes and gives on additional detail. And we're going to look at the, each of these. We see there are some positive motives that some people were approaching, this, this new boldness of, of uh, proclaiming Christ. There are positive motives. He says that some do so from goodwill. That word goodwill speaks of, of delight. It speaks of, of good pleasure in the midst of things. They, they delight to proclaim Christ. There's no selfishness in the midst of that. It's their honor and joy to proclaim the gospel of Christ. That word for goodwill, it's the same word that is going to be later used in chapter 2, verse 13, where it says that it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. It's the same word, that good pleasure. God is at work for His good pleasure. Well, here the Philippians, or here um, there are others who are emboldened to preach the gospel. They're motivated by delighting in the gospel, delighting in Christ, delighting in the word of God. So Paul says these are, these are good motives. These are good things. He says in verse 16, they do it out of love. They do it out of love knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. They have a love for God. They have a love for Paul. And they have a love for other people that others may hear the good news of Jesus Christ, that they may be saved from their sins. And so they are motivated by love to proclaim the gospel. It's a good motive. These are positive things. We ought to be motivated by love. When we see that people are, are on their way to hell apart from Christ, the love of Christ should compel us to share the gospel with them, that they may hear, that they may believe, that they might follow after Jesus Christ. That is why our, this statement that is on these banners behind us, this is our, our purpose statement at Pillar Fellowship. We exist to glorify God as we proclaim Christ, that everyone might hear, believe, and follow Him. Motivated by love, that more would believe the gospel of Christ. Paul rejoices in these people. They're motivated with good and righteous motives. But sadly, there are some who have negative motives in the midst of things. Some are motivated by envy, by rivalry, selfish ambition, and strife. He says, verse 15, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry. And then later on in verse 17, he said, They proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition. Not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. It's, it's almost doing it out of spite for the Apostle Paul. Sinful motives in the midst of their proclamation of Christ. It's, now, this is kind of a strange thing. And, and truly, this is a difficult thing to wrestle with. How is it that they're individuals, they're, they're proclaiming Christ... Paul seems to recognize that it's a a true proclamation of the gospel. They're not not heretics. They don't have false doctrine. They they have good and orthodox and biblical doctrine. They're teaching the true Christ. How is it that that Paul can identify them as preaching a true Christ and yet look at them, they have these these negative, these, these sinful motives in the midst of things? 
I think Paul had particular individuals on his mind as he was writing this. I think there were individuals who were in Rome that were seeking to make a name for themselves. See, in those days, the, the culture at that time had, it was in many sectors of, of society and the culture, it was a very competitive culture. And the, the concept of two people succeeding alongside one another was difficult for them to, to grasp and embrace. So the, the concept was that if I am increasing, that necessarily means that someone else is decreasing. But on the flip side, if they are having success and if they are increasing, well then that, that is shame upon me. And that reflects negatively upon me. And so there's a very competitive mindset amongst the people. There's this, this selfish ambition. There's this, this rivalry. All right, we see Paul addressing this in different places. In the book to the Corinthians, he writes, he says, I, you guys should not be breaking up into factions. He says that some people are saying, I am of Paul. And other people are saying, well, I am of Apollos. And someone else is saying, I am of Cephas. And other people are saying, well, I'm of Christ. And they were, so they were breaking into these different factions. They were dividing amongst themselves based on who it was that it was their favorite teacher. And Paul had to address that. And Paul says, no, we shouldn't be doing that. We all preach the same Christ. We're on the same team here. We all have the same doctrine. We shouldn't be dividing into these factions. So he addresses the Corinthians and says we need to have unity together here. So this is what's going on here is he writes this passage. Some are preaching Christ, but they don't have pure motives. They have selfish motive. They're seeking to make a name for themselves. That word selfish ambition communicates that concept. They're in it for themselves. They may be in it for selfish monetary gain. They might be in it for just to make a name for themselves, to build themselves up. And yet, even in the midst of that, they, they are proclaiming Christ. They seem to be preaching a true gospel. It's interesting that, that Paul doesn't rebuke them here. In other contexts and other passages, Paul does directly address when someone has a false gospel says to the book of the, to, uh, to the Galatians, that if anyone brings to you a different gospel, let him be accursed. That that is not a saving gospel. Like that is not a good thing. We need to have a biblical gospel, right? We need to abide by the word of God. We need to stay true to that. But he doesn't do that in this passage, which leads me to think that these individuals, though they have sinful motives, they are preaching a true gospel. They are proclaiming the true Christ. I also find it interesting that it says here, at, towards the end of verse 17, it says that they think to afflict me in my imprisonments. So we might ask the question, how is it that preaching the true gospel would bother Paul? Right? How are they causing harm to Paul in the midst of this? How is that their goal and their intention? Well, if they have this mindset that there's no succeeding side by side one another, and if I am increasing, that means somebody else is decreasing... And that would have been their mindset, that that they have an opportunity, while Paul is in jail, they have an opportunity to make a name for themselves, which necessarily pushes Paul down. And so they think to afflict Paul, they think to cause him harm, but Paul says, I'm not worried about that. I'm not worried about it. It's not about me. It's not about me as a preacher, it's not about me as an individual, I'm... 
I'm rejoicing because of the gospel of Christ is going out. Paul says the gospel is being proclaimed. So he refuses to make his circumstances about himself. You see, it's like as if he seems to say, you know, I can't control their motives. I can't control their heart. But I can control mine. And so even though they have this weird factional mindset, they are preaching a true gospel. The true Christ. They have orthodox theology. And in that, I rejoice. So that's what Paul says in verse 18. He says, what then? What what then? What, What are we to make of this? How are we to understand this? What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I will rejoice. In that, I rejoice. Paul rejoices. In other contexts, Paul will does address the motives of preachers. Those aren't his intended audience here, so he doesn't address them here. But Paul says, I can't control what other people do. I can't control their heart. But I can see that God is at work, even through the negative motives of sinful human beings. God is at work. The gospel is going out. And so I rejoice in that. New opportunities and new boldness leading to more hearing the good news of Christ. So as we consider that, as we think of how we see Paul writing about how he sees God at work, even in the midst of difficult circumstances, you know, we face a variety of circumstances that are difficult in our lives. Right? Our lives aren't easy. We face hardships of various kinds. Though we are not in prison, though our opportunities for, uh, for ministering to others are going to look different than what the P- Apostle Paul had, we still have choices to make when we face the various sufferings that we encounter. Think of James chapter 1, verse 2, where James writes, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Or Paul himself wrote in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, he says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. And later in that same chapter, he writes, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. So he says, God's at work. God is at work in my life and in your life. And in that, we can rejoice. We don't rejoice necessarily for the trial itself, but we can rejoice when we see what God is doing in the midst of that trial. Not merely in, in spite of the trial, but through the trial through the negative circumstances. Paul is resolved. He is resolved to rejoice in all circumstances, knowing that God is at work, even when we can't see it. God doesn't always give us that peek behind the curtain. But in the times that he does, when we can see, oh, you know, that was a negative circumstance, but 
it has been brought together for good over here. We can rejoice knowing that God is at work even when I cannot see it. So even though we face things that we would not choose for ourselves, we rejoice that God is at work. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you so much for this testimony from the Apostle Paul. We're grateful that we see that that he could rejoice even in the midst of difficult circumstances because he could see how God was at work, how you were at work, Lord. Lord, he took advantage of his circumstances. He did not wallow in self-pity. He did not cry out, woe is me. He did not seek to make the Philippians feel sorry for him, but rather he took advantage of his circumstances and he said, okay, this is where I am. How can I share the gospel with even those who are in front of me now. And he rejoiced to see the the courage that that brought to other individuals. When we see others suffering well, it brings about great encouragement to our hearts, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would grant us in our trials, in our difficulties, in our negative circumstances that we face, I pray that you would grant us that same testimony that we would suffer well for the sake of Christ, that we would count it all joy, that we would look to the promise of Scripture, even when we can't see it, even when we don't know that you are working all things together for good. May we rest in you, knowing that you are our firm anchor and that you hold us tightly. Though the angry surges roll, though we feel ourselves being tossed about by the waves, You are holding fast to us. I thank you, praise you for these words from Paul, and I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.